Welcome to the audio commentaries for Electric Bastion Land. This is episode 4, where I will be discussing the rules behind Electric Bastion Land. Today I'm joined by the creator of the tiny RPG Lasers and Feelings, the medium-sized RPG Lady Blackbird, and the hefty Blades in the Dark, which I keep on my bedside table to defend against burglars. It's John Harper. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that's a genuine thing I, uh, Blades in the Dark is genuinely on my bedside table uh, as we speak um, <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> for protection and for reading I should say uh, yeah it's uh, it's quite a tome um, it, it didn't start out yeah. that, that, that way but it, it ended up there <laughs> yeah so we, we're going to get into that because um, the reason I sort of uh, I've sort of asked you to join me for this one in particular is um it's really interesting how you're looking back through your catalogue. You've got a real a real spectrum of games um, that fall all over the spectrum. So Lasers and Feelings is about as about as light as you can get. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that you're at the higher end. There's sort of these, there's obviously extremely crunchy games at the far end, but Blades in the Dark, like you say, is, is pretty robust. But um, if you wouldn't mind, would you be happy to just give a little introduction as to your background with Into the Odd and Electric Bastion Land? Yeah. Uh, so as I recall, it's been quite a while, um, but I, I vaguely recall seeing you post about it probably on the blog, uh, I would think. Um, yeah, you were definitely there in the early days. Very so. early in the development. Yeah, I think it might have been a, a first playtest document or something even. Um, yeah. My friend Jonathan Walton and I were um, doing sort of designer meetups at that time at our local bar. And uh, that night I, I mentioned uh, Into the Odd and printed it out and took it to the bar and we, we made characters and had a little adventure sitting there and it just blew us away. We had, we had a great time with it and um, its particular, uh, I was going to say oddities, but no, no, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> its particular features uh, really just, I don't know, it was galvanizing to us as designers at the time. We were both in that mindset of um, sort of rediscovering the uh, classical forms of of dungeon crawls and that sort of stuff um and what into the odd was doing was really exciting and i remember i i think i sent you a, a message uh very excited message saying so it seems as though you don't roll to hit you just roll damage and please tell me that's true because i love it <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's amazing how many people sort of don't don't necessarily get that because it's such an ingrained thing that you roll to hit mm -hmm. that I've I've sort of I've sort of had people tell me almost that they they got to the table um, and they're like right well obviously you roll to hit and then they're looking for the rule to roll to hit and they're like wait I can't see there's no <laughs> there's no rolling to hit rule here um, it's it's something that people just expect to be there yeah 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 I, I've seen that reaction from many people and and re reviewers online going through the book and then having to flip back wait a minute where is the where is the rule I didn't see it uh, it's not there. Um, but yeah, that was a fun playtest. And then I ultimately ended up running a campaign, several actually, but um, following on from that as the game was developing further up to its published form. Um, I ran a couple campaigns of it at our office. Um, we had kind of a and a d, &D um, a resurgence at, at my workplace back then when I, when I worked in an office. Um, and they wanted something. They wanted the D&D &D experience without really understanding what that meant. So Into the Ob was the perfect uh, kind of first introduction, along with, um, you know, bits from Dungeon World and and then my own uh, World of Dungeons, which uh, was directly inspired by Into the Ob. Cool. 
I still I still get people asking me about World of Dungeons because um, you very kindly got in touch to ask if you could um, use uh, sort of the, the equipment list as a starting point. Mm-hmm. And um, and obviously you sort of change it up to fit that system. And I think at the time I just said like, yeah, cool, that's great, go for it. And then didn't really think much about it. And I've, I've since looked at the system and I sort of recognize bits of the equipment list. But um, I'll have people get in touch because I'm in the credits, which I, I'm very appreciative of. Well, <laughs> I feel like a bit of a fake being in there. But oh, no. people will say like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Chris, you, you designed... Uh, you designed World of Dungeons with John Harper, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, sure, why not? Close yeah. enough, close enough. <laughs> if you liked the game, then yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah. John helped out a little, but yeah, it's mostly me. No, it was. Um, it was hugely inspirational. <laughs> Just running into the art and playing it was very inspirational on its own. But then, yes, directly, I, I did say, hey, can I just steal this from you? And you were gracious enough to allow me to to tweak the equipment list to, to suit my needs there. But um, yeah, I think it... It, there, there was a collaboration across time and space there a little bit, um, just just from just from playing your game and getting it into my bones. It it came out in 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 that way in World of Dungeons. Awesome, that's good to know. Um, so now that we've got the introductions out of the way, we're going to move on to the main section of the commentary. One of the first things I wanted to ask you um, from your experience, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into the specifics of um, Electric Bastion Land uh, shortly, but as somebody who's written very light systems and much more um, developed systems, let's say, much more, uh, much, much more sort of robust rulesy systems, uh, are, do you find that rules-light systems are easier to write? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, it depends. Pins. <laughs> I feel like that's the only answer I ever give to any question. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, it, I've I've had it both ways. I've had uh, simple systems that were kind of a breeze uh, to sort of sketch down and and clean up and be and be done because they were sort of a singular <clears throat> idea. Lasers and feelings was kind of like that. It just kind of was done in in a go. Yeah. Uh, or Lady Blackbird maybe is a better example. That was that was a very simple thing to, to put together um but in other cases um in, in things that people haven't seen because of this reason um editing something down to its to its leanest form is often the toughest part of the design process and oh definitely um, yeah uh, what's the old saying I, I always misquote the person who said uh sorry for the length of my, of my letter i didn't have time to make it shorter um <laughs> And it's the um, I, I sometimes like to think of it as um, I don't know if this is how a lot of people write, but it's the um, like the sculptor's approach where you, you need to throw down a lot of clay onto the um, you can tell I'm not a sculptor from the lingo I'm telling you <laughs> throw down a lot of clay onto your uh, sculpting table and then sort of uh, once 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 it's sort of dried into a loose form, you can sort of chip away at it. But you've, you've got to start with that big lump sometimes, haven't you? I think so. Uh I think for my process anyway, and some other creatives that I talked to, that that initial burst of of creative energy, it's good to harness it and get out as much as you can while you're feeling feeling the momentum of it, because um, it can it can become difficult later on in the process to sort of recapture the spark. So having all that material to work with um, is good, but cutting things down is tricky. And um, yeah, I would say. I strive to make a game as simple as it as it needs to be to to be what it is, and 
and really cut it down to the bone like that. But um, hmm. at the risk of, I know it's like a cliche to misquote Einstein at this point, but I think this is genuinely an Einstein quote. <laughs> but I think <laughs> oh, yeah. Einstein says something to the effect of that something should be as simple as it can be, but no more. Yeah. And yeah, it's finding that breaking point where certainly my method is to keep on taking stuff away until it doesn't work anymore and then just put a little bit of glue back on it until it holds together and then sort of step back and hope that it holds holds together yeah i i think your work has exemplifies that uh and it's been interesting to see in in electric bastion land how um you've kind of grudgingly uh included a few extra bits um as the process has gone on and i think that's that was good uh the the additions are great um, but also being resistant to them is good too, uh, to, to kind of hold your ground and say, no, I, I do want this to be very simple and I don't want to go to all this extra work and, yeah. or extra material. Definitely. The, I, I've been very strict about additions because it's, it's very easy to, 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 if at the start of this project, I could have very easily, I, I joked about calling it advanced into the odd, mm-hmm. but, um, I stopped that joke because people were taking it very seriously and thinking that that's what it was going to be. <laughs> and, um, and there's, there's, you know, there's probably a market for that. Some people do want that extra mechanical crunch, but I made a very conscious decision that there are lots of games in that area already. So I wanted to, I wanted to stay at the, as close to the extreme end as I could in the cuts of the sort of rules light end of things. Um, and if in doubt, I would rather something be a little bit too simple than it to be a little bit too complicated. Because if it's too simple, people are probably going to find a way to make it work. But if it's a bit too complicated, that might just tip someone over the edge to not be able to enjoy it. Mm, um, yeah. And I had a, I had a sort of list of mantras uh, in my in at the front page of the draft document for so long, and one of them was just keep it simple um, and keep the main thing the main thing. So. There were lots of systems that got added in, and then when I saw that, I just thought, "Is this is this system necessary? Is this change just for the sake of it?" Um, so one of the one of the examples I actually wrote about recently on the blog was: um, it seems like a very easy fix to the system to add advantage uh, and disadvantage, like you get in fifth edition D anD. d So if people aren't familiar, uh, when you have advantage on a roll, because the situation favors you in some way or your character is somehow extra qualified for this role, you would roll two dice and keep the highest one. And it's super simple. And it seems like such an easy fix to just put that in, but it's a, it's a very slippery slope. And before you know it, you're you're sort of sat in that middle ground and you, you've just got a kind of mid-weight RPG. And I really wanted to try and keep it at the rules light end so yeah there were lots of things that got chopped off after being added in yeah that was a fun process to watch on the blog as you were as you were going through those things and also kind of finding places in the already existing very light mechanics to implement something new but without adding a a, its own subsystem Um, and i mean it should be I, i should also note that that in some ways it's actually simpler now um so i removed leveling up entirely yeah basically um so in into the odd you you leveled up generally from completing a successful expedition so it was very simple it was just that if you came back with some treasure and you made it out alive uh then you that counts as a successful expedition and if you did a number of them then you would go to the next level and you would get some more hit points and your your stats might improve a little bit but 
But that's taken out. So I think the fact that I took that out, I don't feel too bad about adding in <laughs> a few extra things. <laughs> but um, but I'm interested to hear um, your sort of honest opinion about... Um, I, I get the impression that, that your sort of school of design uh, probably puts quite a lot of emphasis on on, on rewarding the players for certain behaviours. How do you see the purpose of that kind of player incentive mechanic, like XP being the, XP being the classic example? I definitely am in the school of thought that, that uh, says you should um, incentivize what your game is about, um, what, what the players do, what the characters do, and how they go about it. Um, I think XP is the, a blunt instrument uh, to do that, and it's often a, a really good one. Um, Clinton uh, uh, Dreisbach um, created this system called Keys for the Shadow of Yesterday, um, which is something that Blades essentially copies with its XP triggers, and other games have, have used versions of it, um, that essentially says, if you do X, you get XP. Uh, and it used to be uh, you know, one per gold piece brought brought out of the dungeon and clinton in yeah sort of came up with this idea well what if it's when you you know pretend that you're not in love with the person you have a crush on or what if it's uh, very you know other other types of things and that kind of opened the door to create these very direct and blunt ways of incentivizing characters uh and through lady blackbird and, and up to blades in the dark i've generally leaned on that that kind of straightforward thing if you're the fighter type uh when you overcome challenges with with uh, with fighting, you, you get XP. Um, but that's not the only way to go about it. And I think incentives sometimes get overlooked if if one is just searching for, okay, what's the XP trigger here? Okay, how do you get XP? Um, there are lots of incentives um, in games. And as a designer, supporting those and surfacing them to the group uh, is, is sort of your job, I think. Um, and the simpler the game itself, often I think it's easier to, to surface those things. So uh, in Into the Odd, um, the, the experience system, finishing an expedition, uh, surviving one expedition, that says something, it's, it's a setting note for one thing, um, but it also sets the right expectations. And then what followed on from that too, having to um, have an apprentice that also completed a, a mission and then building a company and... Um, mm, yeah. that, that it showed that progression without, um, tying it to an accumulation of points. Um, but with into, or with Electric Bastion Land rather, I didn't particularly notice the absence of that. Um, the game mm. is very upfront right away about what it is and what it's trying to, what the players are doing, what the characters are doing. And then it gives you all these tools to do that, um, in dangerous and exciting ways. It really focuses on um the kind of uh sort of mission i guess you might call it um and and to my reading anyway it really set me up to say okay great this is i can pitch this to my players and say you're going to be this ragtag collection of people there's going to be all these opportunities for you to pursue in the city and what we're going to do is accomplish these opportunities um and that's that's our metric for for experience or whatever you want to call it and i think the the one of the biggest ruled editions that it's quite easy to overlook because I I I sort of forgot that this wasn't in, into the odd because this is something that I started using quite early on after into the odd got released, which is it it doesn't feel so much like a rule but it's the idea that you start 
with a big debt. Yes. Your character, well, your, your group rather, is in a shared debt of £10,000. And it's easy to, it's, it's the sort of thing that I, 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 in fact, I didn't even include it on my list here of rules changes from Into the Odd. So <laughs> even I forget that it's a, it's a rule, but... It's such a good rule, uh, and it, it is that that it, it is in a sense an, an experience tracker, if you like, um, getting out from under yeah. that. Back in the Star Wars D six days, that that the smuggler was so exciting as a character because you got to be Han Solo, but also because you started out with a spaceship and you were in debt to a crime lord, and that just automatically yeah. creates a, a a game to play. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I heard somebody uh, talking on a podcast about this uh, recently when they were talking about electric bastion and they said oh this is this is obviously inspired by classic traveler mm. uh, because you start your character started with a debt you had to pay off the cost of your ship and uh, i have to confess i'd never played traveler in my life i don't know if i've ever even read the rules i i know a little bit about the life path system mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> i I can't, I can't take any um any cred for drawing on classic traveler for that but yeah i uh, think debt runner even is like as a genre uh it, it's sometimes referred to that way um and early versions of Blades were like that too. You you had instead of sort of um, not accounting for all the little costs and, and stuff for your for your gang, you started out with this hmm. sort of um, bill to to pay for everyone's upkeep and everything. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right. That that is a driving factor um, that is easy to overlook. And the fact that they're tied there, there's over a hundred different ways to be in debt. Um, hmm is great too it's not it's not just putting it all on the group and saying okay make it interesting make a cool uh situation to be in debt to there it's built in yeah it's it's a good example of what i tried to do which was i tried to make sure any rule that i could get flavor onto i made sure that there was flavor on it so Mm -hmm. that there's a few little things about it so like you said the fact that you're you're not just ten thousand pound in debt to let's say the bank uh you owe it to um, you know the, the confectioners union or something and, it, and it, it actually gives you something and also the fact that it's a shared debt mm-hmm. between the between say five characters and it's it's clear that you might not even know each other you might have just somehow through some twist of bureaucracy ended up with this shared debt uh, with this bunch of strangers and and the fact that if you die uh, that debt grows because <laughs> yes. it, 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 it gets passed on to like the next random character. Uh, so I just imagine the next character getting a letter saying, you have inherited uh, a share in this £10,000 debt <laughs> and the extra £1,000 fee for the untimely death of your, your previous character. It's so good. Um, it, it, it tells you something about the setting without having to... It sort of tricks tricks the player into having the setting sort of, uh, uh, sort of the, the, absorbing that kind of flavour. It does, absolutely. It all ties into a sort of overall philosophy I had in terms of player incentive, where I wanted... um, So a word that I keep using now, it's like my buzzword for the moment, is diegetic. Mm -hmm. Um, So for the unfamiliar, again, if you think about diegetic music in a film, that's sort of music that's that's real in the world of the film. So if somebody's listening to their car radio in a film, that's diegetic music, whereas the John Williams soundtrack is non-diegetic because it doesn't exist in the real the real world of the film. Um, so I wanted to have as much of the character growth be diegetic uh, to the, the, the fiction. So it's something you could almost imagine the characters talking about. So there's another vector there that I was just thinking when you were saying that, um, which are the the oddities um 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's another, I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing that you might level up and gain a new feat or power or whatever because you, you have 50,000 XP or something. And this is putting it, it's an object in the world that the characters can interact with in the fiction. Um, and so they're, they're like you said, they're, they are aware of the source of their abilities and, and where they're getting them. They're getting them by stealing them out of this person's vault or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I really wanted things like that because um, everyone's had the nightmare scenario where uh, another a- another sort of enthusiastic gamer has come up to you and said, it's a cliche, but let me tell you about my character. <laughs> and o- often it involves them telling you about um, the, the, feat, the combination of feats that they've chosen in, say, 5th edition or 3rd edition D&D and how they were able to get their damage score up to a certain amount and how they were able to... Um, reach level level eight in this certain class and level six in this other class and it's it's boring to me and i'm into all that stuff i i can only dread to think how boring it must be to uh somebody who doesn't play games so my my sort of blue sky thinking goal was can i make can i make a game where the characters make sense to somebody that doesn't play the game mm-hmm. so if you've played into if you played electric Land for five sessions and then you you meet up with your friends that don't play rpgs and you can tell them about your character i wanted to see how much of it i could make make sense so it's not about levels like you say it's about uh you know we started off in debt to this terrible person then we paid them off and then we found all these cool items that do these things and it's and you know it's not about plus one here and d6 here it's about you know we found a portal gun or we found this thing that shoots spider webs and just trying to make things that, uh, trying trying to keep it as much in that kind of diegetic area as possible, and that sort of all links back to the one of the one of the main additions to the rules from Into the Odd was the idea of scars, which sort of replaced the um, the regular advancement, if you like, in terms of gaining HP. Um, so, do you, do you have much uh, experience with? Um, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Yes. So anybody that looks at this and has played Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay will probably realise it's quite a clear influence there. Obviously, there's been lots of games that have critical hit tables that have all these gruesome injuries in there. But the, the scars were something a bit different where I wanted, I wanted characters to be able to... If you've got your character up to, say the lofty heights of 15 hit points, uh, or rather 15 hit protection. I still call them hit points. I can't, I can't shake it. <laughs> I love hit protection uh, <laughs> so much. I, I love it. It's such a great phrase. I have to say HP because I can't, I can't bring myself to... I still say hit points all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you get yourself up to like 15 HP, which is pretty high, it's about as high as many characters will get. I, I want that character to be able to almost look at their extra HP and say, I got this from this situation and mm-hmm. I got this from this other situation. So the only way to gain extra HP is by getting these scars. And in an early iteration, um, these scars would happen whenever you got taken from full HP down to exactly zero HP. So if you had six HP and you take six damage and you land bang on zero, you get a scar. And the scar would be something permanent, um, often debilitating, but... I tried to avoid the kind of death spiral effect where taking a scar is worse than taking more damage. I wanted them to just be flavorful more than anything. Um, so there are lots of severed limbs and things like that and the uh, eyes being gouged out, but they're, they're not um, 
they generally don't make you sort of weaker in combat. But um, but what I found was it was almost incentivizing people to go and fight because if players learned that this was the way you gained HP, they, I could see people... I, I already had some people asking me, saying like, oh, well, if, if me and my... If two characters are kind of sparring and they just keep hitting each other and then resting <laughs> and getting their HP back, could they could they get a scar? And I thought, I don't want to write a game for these for these kinds of players, but no. they, they do exist. And I I always try and write for common sense, which is a dangerous thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I I really don't want to end up with a, a rules book that reads like a legal document. <laughs> and so so what I did was one of the early tweaks to scars was um, it, they're, they're very unpredictable. So more often than not, a scar is not going to give you more HP, probably. It's probably just going to be bad. Um, mildly bad, but just bad. Um, so it's this kind of idea of it's growth rather than advancement. So as you as you go on adventures and get hurt, you will eventually get tougher and get more grizzled. But growth is unpredictable and it goes it goes both ways. It's um it's irregular. It's not a case of outright getting better. It's a case of um you become more interesting. And that's something I, I I'm quite happy with with the scars. I think they, they came out quite well. Yeah, I really like them a lot. Um again, it's it speaks to the setting um in a in a, a, a oblique way a little bit, but you, you can imagine that anyone in the setting that the characters are interacting with that has experience and um, is maybe a more more powerful entity in the world um, probably hasn't made it there cleanly. They're, they're probably all marked up and, and scarred oh, yeah, as definitely. well. Uh, so it, it says something about the world and um, like you say, it gives you a story and it positions the group to, again, creating expectations is so important. You you want to understand that this is not necessarily a game of heroics and achievement and and greatness. Um, it's it's going to be a grind, and it's it's an interesting, uh, flavorful um, experience. But nothing in the game makes you feel as if, well, we're gonna we're gonna make it. We're, everything's gonna work out. Uh, it it doesn't it doesn't read that way at all. And that that again reinforces the setting and. Um, creates the right incentives for players i think to think about yeah, what they're it was, pursuing it's not it's not just uh getting that next level getting that next ability all of that stuff is is fraught with danger and almost it almost um i don't know it 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 does give me a warhammer vibe actually i ran a lot of warhammer and um that that feeling that your characters are the stars of our of our story but no one else really cares about them um it's it's like it's a great feeling it's something i love in gaming and the 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 key thing i wanted to get across uh that's different than warhammer fantasy roleplay is um a a sort of anecdote i hear about warhammer quite a lot is that people end up with characters that are just so injured and Mm -hmm. they've, they've taken so many so many sort of permanent injuries that the, the player is almost wishing they would rather die because you're like, I've ended up with this character and they're just now completely ineffective. Um, and they're just, they're just no good. I, they're just almost waiting for the character to die so they can make a new character. And I, I didn't want the scars to be like that. I didn't mm-hmm. want, I've, I've said to, this was when I was, when I was speaking to Alec about the, uh, Alec, the artist who produced the illustrations for the book, I said, it's, 
it, it has dark elements, but it's not a grim setting. It's not grim dark. Yeah. You know? And and with the injuries, I wanted to reflect that. So even if you even if you do lose an arm, so if you have a limb torn off by the result number eight, uh, a random limb is torn off or in need of amputation. Um, that doesn't mean that you're going to you know lose d6 points of strength or if you lose a leg it's like right well you lose dexterity and you're now permanently slowed by 25 percent um i wanted to have them be it, it really is just flavor and it's it's you're not going to end up with a character that you you're going to become more invested by the character because they've been through these hard times and um and you know you you will you will come out of it stronger um if you've had a horrible horrible injury it's going to be bad in the moment but you can overcome it and you can um you you can come out out the other side and still still do all the things that you used to do for the most part i don't think i think there's there's one or two at the higher end um so because of the way that hp works you're only going to get the very top results um so that the the top result is number 12 you're only going to get that if you've got at least 12 hp by which point you're probably an established character. So if you get that result, uh, the result there is doomed to die, which means you shouldn't have survived that and you have nightmares of your own death. So if you fail the next save against critical damage, you die horribly. But if you pass it, uh, you can remove that effect and you get more HP. So it's at that point, your character is sort of becoming... It, it almost nudges towards retirement, mm-hmm. um, but it sort of also makes them more likely to die. So that kind of... It's kind of like almost creating a climax for that character, potentially. You're, you're getting that kind of effect where um, it's like the, <laughs> at the risk of spoilers, it's like the Iron Man effect in the Marvel films where you knew that he'd been around for so long. They're like, they're going to kill him at some point. They're going to make a big thing and give him a big heroic finish. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's that kind of effect. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting spreading those across the across the sort of array of results. Um, the, other, the other big change... Uh, I would say arguably the biggest change it's the one that sort of comes up most often is the way that multiple attackers work now and this is far and away the right up until the book was going to print this is a change that I agonized over because it does just outright make the game more complicated Um, so you mentioned that in Into the Odd, one of the big changes was you don't roll to hit. You you roll your attack. Um, you know, it's the kind of elevator pitch is I say it's an auto-hit system, which isn't really fair because um, the idea being that your HP is hit protection. So you're, you're, you're causing damage with every attack, but you might not fictionally be actually hitting the, the target. Yeah, which is a great... Uh, innovation. Uh, there are there are thousands of articles all across the web. People distraught. How do I describe damage in Dungeons and Dragons or whatever? Hit points is such a sloppy way of handling that, and this just neatly fixes the problem. But by, <laughs> by changing one word in the name of the thing, <laughs> it's great. And it just speeds things up. I think a, a lot of it comes from me being impatient, and I think I've sat through some very long combats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's if a combat is over too quickly, that can be a little bit disappointing. But if a if a combat lasts too long, that can just completely suck the life out of a game. So, um, so so yeah, that was that the I was very happy with how that came out in Into the Odd. But a side effect of that was um, strength in numbers was a huge factor um, because if if you're all going to cause damage, 
it, it, it created a, it leveled the playing field a lot between characters, which was deliberate. I wanted every character to be, I didn't want there to be the equivalent of the wizard that can't swing a sword and might throw a dart for d4 damage. I wanted yeah. everyone to at least be able to grab a gun and like at least contribute to combat. Um, but it, they contributed a little bit too much. So what happened is you had situations where if you had three player characters and they each had a hireling and you had six six uh, characters with, with muskets doing d8 damage, um, nothing could really stand up to that kind of you know that kind of gun line um because every attack causes damage and and hp is kept deliberately low so it it made it really it made it really tricky because the difference between say a party of two characters and a party of five characters was was huge in terms Mm -hmm. of the sort of the sort of damage they could pour out so um so i very reluctantly added in the rule that um in cases where two characters are attacking the same target. So say four player characters are attacking some big monstrosity that's just shambled out of the underground. Um, And into the odd, they would all roll damage and add it together. So you might end up with these four characters causing, you know, 16 points of damage in total um, with their D6 weapons. But I, I had the, I made the change that they would roll all the dice together and take only the highest die. And it's one that lots of people questioned, and it's the one rule that a lot of people said. Uh, they, they they look at Electric Bastion and they said, "Oh yeah, well you know I, I loved Into the Yard and I like Electric Bastion Land, but I'm not going to use this ganging up rule. It's 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 too clunky. It doesn't make sense. I'm I'm finding it really hard to uh to to explain it. And and it is a tricky thing, um, because the, the, you know the the most obvious example is if if me and you are both attacking the same target and you roll a d8 and you get a 7 and I'm rolling a d6. Uh, straight away, I, I look at your 7 and I think, well, I'm not even going to bother rolling the dice. And it, the key is to get the character, get the players to roll at the same time. Yeah. Which is really, really tricky. And it, it's extra tricky in online games. Oh, yes. Well, uh, yeah, that's always a, a challenge. Uh, and people are always very excited to roll right away as soon as they say something. Yeah. Um, but I like the way you wrote it in the book. Um, I, as I recall, there's a phrase, something like, um, uh, you, you miss your opportunity to attack if you don't roll in with everyone else. You That, the, yeah. that opportunity passes you by. And it, they, it, it's, it's difficult in those cases where someone has already gone and the aid is sitting on the table there. But um, in terms of managing the fight in the fiction, um, because there's not a strict turn order or initiative or anything like that, you can manage it, I think. I mean, as a GM, I can imagine doing it fairly straightforwardly, saying, okay, now there's an opportunity for everyone to fire on the, on the beast. Um, all roll together and we'll take your highest. And sometimes there might be, there might not, that opportunity might not exist. Someone might need to do something risky to create that opportunity so that everyone can shoot together. Someone might create an opportunity with a save to uh, attack independently. So that you, so you do... Uh, to take you know two different results and, and combine them um i can see that whole landscape being in uh, using the tools that electric bastion land gives you um yes this is how ganging up works just you're in the alley four guys jump you you roll the dice just like this but there's also maneuvers and saves and opportunities and all that other stuff going on um yeah that that can change the landscape of of what's happening and the other stuff is really key because I wanted it to be that if, 
you know, not every combat needs to be the entire team is fighting. It could be that there's something else happening at the same time. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it puts a bit more weight on, um, on the, the GM sort of creating interesting encounters, but you know, they should, they should be doing that anyway. And um, it, it means that you're not, it, it, if you feel like attacking isn't worth it because there's already three other people attacking that target, it, it can sometimes be quite freeing as well. And it kind of means that you're now thinking, well, if they're all attacking rather than just throwing one more dice into the pool, what else can I do to, to help in this situation? And mm-hmm. it, it, it opens up the door to some, uh, some more creative uh, ideas perhaps. Well, I think that goes back to this, I, the diegetic idea that there's, I, 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 there's no reason for me to scour my character sheet for the, just the right ability or the right effect or spell or whatever um to to use on my turn um it's it behooves me as a player in electric bastion land to think about the situation in my mind and where where's that ladder and mm, my gun is in my backpack and mm, the rope is already hanging there so i could and it, it you're it's very engaging in in the fictional space because that's where that's where everything is happening that that's where the systems are have the most traction and um there, you, you can't just sort of uh, press A on your controller uh, to, to do to do the thing. You have to yeah, position yeah. it within the fiction. All in all, I whenever I sort of got to the point where I was thinking this is this is this is against the spirit of what I wanted to do. I'm, I'm going to take it out. I, I I would run tests with it, and I think it's it was a tough decision, but the ends do justify the means with it. I think it creates a much more it creates a system that's a lot more. Re- a lot more um, stable and I'm not uh, anyone that reads my blog will know that I don't really care about balance of encounters I, d- I don't think every encounter is designed to be um, you know a, a perfectly even challenge for the players I think I like the idea that some some combats are going to be very straightforward and quick and easy and some of them are going to be uh, almost insurmountable and if you try and tackle them head on you're just gonna you're gonna be in big trouble straight away agreed and and by having this system in place, what it means is it's it's quite difficult to have a combat that just lasts one round in general. I mean, that there are still situations where you could finish a combat in one round, but generally combats, even even very quick ones, are going to last maybe maybe two rounds, three rounds. And it just creates that decision point in the middle of the combat. And I, I like systems that are quick and deadly, and I like the idea that you might die from making a mistake. But if you don't get a chance to respond to the situation, then it's it's an unsatisfying death all, all the time. If you go, if you're walking down the corridor with full HP, you get hit with a spear trap, and you're you're dead in a single hit. That's that's not a particularly satisfying way to go. But but if you get hit by a spear trap and you're sort of bleeding out and you're still up, and then you decide to press on and get hit by a second spear trap and die. That's probably still not how you uh, imagined your character going out, but you would probably look back on that and think, "Yeah, that was my that was my my fault there." Yeah, I really like that uh, that 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 pause between because um, there, there's a decision point. We play often. Uh, the point of it is is making interesting decisions, um, and really feeling like the outcomes were were the result consequences of our choices, um, even though things may be out of our control sometimes. Uh, yeah, it's it's it feels great to to push your luck or or to or not or uh, play it safe or and and role playing comes in there. What type of person am I playing? Um, 
are they reckless? Are they cautious? You can express those things if you if you're not getting one shotted by by stuff. And I I that's something we loved in Into the Odd, and and it's in Electra Bastion Line as well. That um, there it, it it is very harsh in the sense that you have very little HP, and critical damage just hits you right away after that. But it's very hard to to just die uh, outright. Um, yeah, and that it, it it created a great feeling where everyone really felt the danger of what was going on, um, but didn't didn't worry about that one mistake that uh, that was gonna. Well, I guess the the red coral in our game was um, something that people <laughs> may, <laughs> maybe uh, someone got mostly disintegrated uh, almost instantaneously. Oof. But that setting that aside. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite early on. It's very quick to roll a new character. That's the uh, that's the beauty of it as well. That's the other side of it. But it, I think it also just frees you up in terms of monster design because I, I wanted it to be a game where if you want to throw the equivalent of a D&D purple worm at your player's uh, level one equivalent, you can do it. And it's mm-hmm. it, it'll chase them away and it'll be terrifying and they, they, won't, they probably won't be able to, to, to fight it very effectively. But it's 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 there and it's it's not so insurmountable that it will just sort of swallow your hole on the first first attack yeah it's very freeing as as a, a game master and a player um you, like you said you don't you're not balancing encounters and planning 25 percent attrition per between short rests and all this nonsense um you, you can just go with the fiction if that's what the, it's there it's there and um we're, we'll we'll play to find out what happens and and the game yeah. will roll along because there's so little, there's so little. Even though there are comparatively lots of rules for combat compared to what there are rules for anything else, um, there's very little focus on that on how it's presented in the book. I was careful to make it make it very clear that it, it's unlikely that you are any sort of fighter. Like there are a few of the failed careers where you you have a, a little bit of a kind of military background, but in general, you are just. A treasure hunter. You are not. <laughs> you are not a monster slayer. Yeah, I love the pit fighter. I think is. It, I think that's the one that says. Uh, you you know you fought for money, but it didn't make you particularly skillful or tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, not well enough to get paid. Yeah, 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 and and even there you might end up with a um oh, there were some ridiculous items on there i think that that's that's where you might end up with a chainsaw at level one which <laughs> i think uh exemplifies the kind of design i was going for where i wanted i wanted the option that you could start the game with a chainsaw that's uh that's always a good idea yeah i endorse that as well the other rule i wanted to talk about which is really interesting because it's sort of i i, I do i probably should credit you a little bit for this um because I, in Into the Odd, there was a, a... I can't remember if I explicitly called it a look roll in Into the Odd. Um, I, th- I think I did. Where it, when a situation is almost down to complete look, um, just have the players roll a d6, and if it's high, it goes in their favour, and if it's low, it goes against them. And um, I I think, did, did that make it into um, dun- uh, World of Dungeons? Yeah, there's a, there's a Die of Fate... Uh, which is also yeah. in Burning Wheel and and is in uh, Mold D and D for that matter. Um, I mean, I would I would struggle to claim ownership of roll a die and try and get high. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I can try to claim uh, patents on that. Yeah, I don't think any of us can really take credit. But <laughs> the I think I think the application of it and calling it out. Um, I think in in Moldvay it's called. There's always a chance. It's in the back of the little booklet. Um, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say like 
calling it out as a as a separate thing that there's yes there's a system for rolling under your stats for saves for different uh you know qualities of your character uh and there's damage values and all this stuff but then we also have this other thing that's like hanging around the game table in this in this rule set which is chance fate luck fortune whatever um and it's it's just it's hanging out there whenever we need it uh it again it, it creates this different atmosphere you're not just thinking about your own capabilities and all this stuff there's there's this floating in the background you, you're thinking okay i can i can say some stuff to the gm now that will cause them to say mm, i don't know let's make a luck roll and see <laughs> and it's it, it's just it's there it's it's a it's part of the texture of of play and i think um that's something that a lot of people really latched onto. Um, again, I, I can't genuinely claim any sort of um, sort of credit for that idea, but I think for some people they hadn't maybe they hadn't seen it in Moldvay and all editions, and and people were saying, "Oh, this is this is great. It's a really nice, simple little rule. I'm gonna I'm gonna add this to my my D and D game." So I thought, "Oh, great! Mm-hmm. This is this is something that resonates with people." Um, I really want to explain a little bit more in Electric Bastion Land about how how to use it rather than just saying, "Oh, try and get high." And or tr- or if you get low, it's bad for the players. I wanted mm-hmm. to, I didn't want to completely mechanize it. Um, and one of the original ideas, actually, just to go on a slight tangent, was um, uh, I, I I thought for a while about having it just be when you would normally lo- use a look roll, uh, you would use charisma instead. And charisma was sort of your um, well, I th- it went through a number of changes, but at one point it was called charm. Mm-hmm. And it was it was literally your your charm as to how charming you are and how charismatic you are, if you like, but also sort of charm in a look sense, how much the mm-hmm. universe likes you. Um, and I, I kind of like that idea still, but it, it didn't feel quite right in the end. And I wanted something that was a little bit more um, impartial and not not connected to the players. Um, so with the look rolls, what I ended up with is um, I I I can't remember whether I saw this in Blades in the Dark first or whether i i came up with this and then noticed that it was eerily similar to what was in blades in the dark so i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna assume that i can at least owe you partial credit for this because i think <laughs> it's it's kind of similar to the blades in the dark core mechanism um the sort of i think of it like a triangle i don't know i don't know why i think of it as like a triangle but you've got the idea that um rather than just being roll d6 try and get try and get high it was um if you roll and you get four or more it means something good has happened. Uh, generally, it's the kind of normal outcome. So, if you're the, the example, I think I use it in the yard is if you're stretching a tightrope across a gap and you're trying to kind of walk over it and just hoping that the rope will hold. Um, four plus means it's fine. Two to three means um, I've got sort of a warning or the, the the warning of impending danger is this kind of result. So, like maybe you've got you've, you're now in a risky situation and one is a crisis it means mm-hmm. it's gone immediately bad so it's, it's kind of the inverse of the blades in the dark um sort of core system where where your your six is something very good your four to five is something mixed and your one to three is something bad mm-hmm. um so yeah that was that was the other thing that got really expanded and it, it was it was good fun to just just roll with those and create a lot of different examples for what these look rolls could be used for. Yeah, I really um, appreciate that uh, as as a as someone running a game. Um, that I've used that kind of mechanic a lot. Uh, so you know, I see luck rolls, I'm like, oh great, I got it. And then it's a, it, delightful to page through the book and realize, oh, there's pages of these 
these very flavorful uh, luck tables that, again, are, are part of the setting and reinforcing elements of, of the setting that may, I'll, I'll, I would have come up with my own stuff, and I, I will, but I also have these to jump to when I need one and also to look at and spark my own ideas. So I really appreciated that you took that extra step and actually built out um, examples. Yeah, so the, the the most common one would be it's it now sort of functions as your encounter role as well for like wandering encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it also means I didn't have to write a system for like supplies and um, uh, in in a in a real moment of weakness. I don't know why. I think it's because I've been playing uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, <laughs> and um, I I thought you know you know what would be really interesting because I, I was I was I was looking at the equipment that I was giving to starting failed career characters and and originally a lot of lot of them just had like a sword or a gun and i thought no 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 i I want them to feel almost like you're using an improvised weapon to begin with and you almost have to you almost have to kill someone to get a proper weapon in a lot of cases so there's lots of people that start Mm -hmm. with like frying frying pans to hit people with and things like that um so i thought well how could we extend this i thought i thought we oh we could we could add a system where your weapons would break um after, <laughs> after a while and um I, I i sort of tested the water with it i think this was it was back when google plus existed and i think i sort of said oh, how would how would people feel about this and it was the most negative response i think i've ever received <laughs> to uh, yeah. to an idea and i sort of i sort of like woke up the next day and i thought oh god what was i thinking that was uh, <laughs> that that would have been that would have been not not good but but it means that i could keep that idea where if you're using you know, if you're using your 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 sword that you've got from the shop isn't going to break, but if you are using specifically shoddy equipment, um, the 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 conductor of the game might say, "Yeah, make a look roll to see what it's how it's looking today," and it might be that this this makeshift flamethrower that you've put together uh, all of a sudden is going to start leaking fuel everywhere, and it's it, it it's it's more of an exception rather than the rule, and that that's what I wanted to I wanted to have the option for this sort of complexity, but for it to very much be for your specific situation. So you're not, yeah. you're not going to run you're not going to run out of food in a general game, but if you are trekking across the desert, then the the conductor might think, well, now we're going to start doing nightly supply checks because you're going across the desert and you there's nowhere to stop for food. Yeah. It gives the conductor a throttle. Um I have used this to to good good effect in in games with these sort of roles. Um a, a throttle or a spectrum between uh, no, you can't, or it doesn't work, or you just roll success failure, or uh, give you this other softer kind of space when the players are doing the thing where they're improvising some elaborate scheme with a crossbow and a, and a steel wire and whatever. Um, you can say, yeah, okay, you can you can rig something up, but it's it'll it will will roll a luck roll to see if it actually is is effective in the moment. Or yes, you can supercharge your flamethrower, but every time you use it, will roll luck. Uh, to see what happens uh, after the fact, yeah. and so on and so forth. It, it it's it's like this this middle ground between um, just a, a skill check or a save or or uh, no, it doesn't work or damage or it, I don't know. It, it it's like I always think of this like piano playing analogy with with running games uh, like this, where you have all these different options of chords and keys, um, and in the moment you can you can perform it perform the game system um in a way that suits your table and, and the situation you're in yeah and the it's interesting you said about creating interesting decisions and i know that's something that um 
it's easy to go on and on about, but I think it is so crucial. So what I wanted to avoid with the look roll was the situation where when it when when you've just got this idea that one is bad and six is good, you might you might roll it and get a, a two, and mm-hmm. then you might just describe it as uh, yeah okay so your idea it doesn't really work, um, and it's kind of a dead end. And what mm-hmm. I wanted was uh, so like I said four plus means it, it, it probably works fine. Uh, two to three is is a warning, so it's like it's creating a sense of danger. It's it's not saying your idea doesn't work. It's saying like well you can do it, but it's going to be extra risky now. And I deliberately had, I mean, a result of one is probably always going to be interesting anyway when people roll this. But I made it clear that that is specifically a crisis where something yeah. bad happens. So, so for the using the shoddy equipment example, four plus means it works. Two to three is it's hissing and growling, and you get one more use out of it before it breaks. So you've got to think right. So this this makes your flamethrower. It's got one shot left in it. What do I use it for? And a roll of one is it breaks in the most violent way possible. So that's obviously <laughs> a, gi- a giant explosion. So there's there's no case where you you build this flamethrower and it just kind of goes pff, 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 and oh it doesn't work because that's that's not what you want out of a role playing game. You want you want it to either work or you want it to blow up. That's <laughs> exactly. that's what you want out of this sort of thing. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, just in in general, the the way that characters uh are made i think is pretty significant it's not so much a rules change but the failed careers are a such a driving force um for what Hmm. the game is going to be um that it feels i don't know uh into the odd was um kind of bring bring your own uh motivations and and setting and um you know, do do that world building stuff that that you do when you're running your little fantasy sandbox, um, and this feels much more like I'm I'm stepping into this world that's that's already there uh, through the lens of this character um, and their circumstances and and those details. Uh, it feels I don't know. I haven't I haven't pl- uh, ran it yet, so it's hard to put my finger on exactly what it is that I'm that I'm sensing, but I, I feel like it's shifted the nature of gameplay in a way that, that these system changes have as well. I think one of the big differences is with Into the Odd, so your your character was three ability scores and like three bits of equipment. So you might get um, a shovel and a bomb and a dog. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's, it's up to you to work out what that means. Like, is your character a grave digger? Um, or were they? Did he just steal the shovel from someone? Um, it's 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 up to you. That there was some some implied stuff, but it never said anything about what you actually were. Whereas with Bastionlands, Electric Bastionlands failed careers. The the a side effect of them being a bit more defined is I think players do get a little bit more attached to them for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not so quick that if you die and into the odd, it's kind of like well. What, what do we know about this character anyway? I'll, I'll roll another one. Um, but with Electric Bastion Land, it can feel a little bit... The death can sting a little bit more, I think. And uh, I suspect that makes players a little bit more cautious. I think it depends on the player. I I uh, love all of the failed careers. So as a player, uh, d- losing a character would be a chance to roll a, a new one, which is <laughs> what I want to do. <laughs> so yeah. not not that I'm going to, you know, be jumping off cliffs and stuff, but... Uh, I, I really love it when a game has characters, pre-made characters or character creation process that's very engaging and cool. 
um, and is also deadly. And, and uh, I, I just love that combination because there's, there's those, that first time you make a character, there's a few of those field careers probably that you're kind of have your eye on and think are especially cool and you didn't roll them. Um, but when this character retires or dies, I get another chance. I get another role. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And part of the reason that I, again, this is something that has been met with a little bit of a mixed response, but um, I, I decided quite early on to try giving each of the failed careers a whole two-page spread. And for, for some of them, there was just no way they were going to fit on one page. I, I did originally, on the, the very, very first version of the layout, they, they fitted on one page, but... Once you add in the the artwork and the the debt holder, just it, it was too tight on one page. But part of the reason that I wanted to have them on two pages was so that when you when you roll your character and if you get number number seventy two, you've got to flick past all the other ones. And <laughs> this is a bit of a stretch, but I, I like to imagine that by flicking through it, you're kind of subconsciously absorbing. Oh yeah, the the, you're sort of flicking through, and you're thinking, "Whoa, whoa okay, who's that? Who's that? Oh, there's this canal guy." And um, yes. it, it just kind of it, it forces you to kind of absorb a bit of the setting. Um, and speaking of setting, uh, just I wanted to talk to you about the idea of the equipment list because that is strictly speaking, it's in the rules section. I originally. I really went back and forth on whether to have it in that initial section that the players might look at or whether to put it back in the the conductor section at the back, which is the, the, the guide to running the game. I thought, do I want the equipment at the front or the back? And I I think of a, I finally settled on equipment being something that I wanted it to be player-facing so that players could, even if they weren't... They got you've got no money to start with. You've got you've got a few pounds, so you're not going to be going shopping. But I wanted it to be something that the players might be able to glance at. Um, and I, I noticed that getting the setting across through equipment is something that um, I noticed in Blades in the Dark is something that you you've sort of done really well. Um, a lot of the classes have very evocative bits of equipment that tell you something about the setting. Um, how do you approach designing an equipment list? For a game like this i think it's definitely player facing you made the right choice in my opinion um because again they're we're asking people to um have this very abbreviated character creation process not with colorful things but not not lots to go on because we want to just get into play and get going and also these people live in this world and are supposed to know things about it. Oh, well, I do love the fact that Bastion is so big and complicated that you can always lean back on that and say, well, none of you know about this because why would you? It's this chaotic world. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, having the having the equipment list player facing, I think, is really crucial, um, both in the evocative bits that, that the field careers each come with. Um, some of those are just spectacular. I mean, just reading through them, you can't help but just like gasp out loud. There, there are so many good bits in there. Um, but also, just we're playing a fantasy role-playing game, and you look and you see there's chewing gum and bicycles on the list, and that that immediately you know switches your brain out of uh, Tolkien or wherever it might be, and um, puts it where it needs to be in the, in this other space. So, just glancing through that. Um, is a way of kind of giving the players a slight bit of local knowledge and 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 also the fact that you're so in debt and you're so poor to start some of the items on the list are hilarious you know that he's like luxury <laughs> items and fortresses and things and it's it's great to see them on the list with like you know a dagger uh, because it 
I don't know, it's it's not even aspirational, like someday I'm going to spend all that for a fortress, but it's just, it's almost absurd. It's like, this is this is everything. We're, this is all of the stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, looking through the list, you there is literally one thing that you can afford. I mean, obviously, if you, if you, pull, if you pull your money together. So uh, you start with D6 pounds and a, yeah. a, cr- a crude melee weapon, which might be a pitchfork, a felling axe, or a club, is 10 pounds. <laughs> so you might be able to team together to buy a club. Um, and I, 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 there must be a... Oh, if, sorry, sorry. There, there is some food that you might be able you, to You afford. can get so, like a uh, mediocre sandwich or something, as I recall. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, the, 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 the range that I use for the D6 is a sandwich of variable quality. So... If you imagine the worst sandwich that you've ever had in your life um, that you've paid money for, um, <laughs> it, it, I, I really, again, I should say this is actually a rules change from Into the Odd. So in Into the Odd, I had this um, system of shillings, which turned into, oh, sorry, how, how did it even start? Yeah, there was pennies, shillings, and guilders. Um, and I think I look back on that, and that's one thing that I really wish I could have changed because I'm, I, I love introducing new people to this to role playing games and I love using into the odd for that but I think if they've got any sort of reservations then when you have to start explaining a currency system to them um it, <laughs> yeah. that's only going to amplify that when you're like well there's 10 shillings in a gilder um and that, and that's really not the kind of game that it is so that, so yeah. with this one I sort of I use pounds and I used it's it's almost based on just the value of a pound today so, you know, a, a sandwich, a sandwich might cost you, um, you know, three pounds from the shop. Um, but it, it, what it does is it just it just makes it one less thing to think about when you're at the table. So if the players say, you know, I, I want to buy I want to buy a, a bicycle, how much is it? I can rather than having to check some list that's made of gold pieces and things like that, I can just think, well, how much is a bike today? Mm-hmm. And I might think, well, OK, I'll, I'll make it a bit more expensive because it's probably relatively new technology back then. And it, it it's it's just it just makes it a bit more um and it just removes one more obstacle but i, I think the equipment listing into the odd which um like we said you, you sort of um uh ran with that for for world of dungeons what i really wanted to do with that was i wanted people to be able to look at that and almost get the setting from just just the equipment list yeah so um what i've done with with into the odd is just kind of blown it up so even the sort of i really agonized over what food to have in the list mm-hmm. so the fact that the, the food the food items are a pack of gum some canned eel jelly jellied meat um it, it tells you something and the fact that the drinks are um a, a beer a cocktail or a punch bowl it sort of puts <laughs> you in that sort of early 20th century yeah. uh, feel straight away so good um yeah i love it so yeah I th- i'm happy with ending up with putting that in the front i think that was uh, that was probably the right call in the end yeah and it's I mean, it, it suits the the philosophy of the game. I think it's it's evocative, uh, it's simple, and it's not too long. Um, it it's it, it's easy to digest at a glance, um, especially because you don't have to when you start. There there is no shopping phase per se. No, um, no, which is something for Blades also. And all all games for me, honestly, I I despise the opening shopping phase of play. Uh, I think so. I used to. I, I used to like it as a player when I was a teenager, and it was it was a novelty that you could open up D and D and you could choose between you know twenty different types of pole arm for your character. Yeah, but I think the no- the novelty has since worn off. <laughs> there was a, a a spike in it for me when the games I was playing in were particularly awful, 
that that part of it was the fun part because <laughs> it, it, the, <laughs> the actual gameplay was so dull and we we were just uh, there, there was a bad period in the 80s when the our games were bad um and <laughs> having having that fun of paging through and looking at cool pictures and and imagining stuff was more fun than the game sessions <laughs> But thankfully, those days are long gone. My newly stated mission is to... Uh, uh, I've already forgotten how I phrased it, but it was something to the effect of removing the barriers between imagination and the game. So making games that make, making games that play the way that you imagined they would have worked when you first heard about D&D, mm-hmm. when you first heard about Traveller, um, and you, you, were, you were given this promise of, uh, of all this possibility. Uh, and then when you when you hit the reality of, uh, of sitting down and learning the rules and all of the, the limitations and the... The, the amount of time they had to invest before your character got remotely interesting. Um, so yeah, hopefully all of these rules come together to, to make that happen. I think so. I'm super excited to run it. Uh, can't wait. I wanted to just ask you a quick uh, question. And you mentioned earlier about looking through the failed careers. Mm. So I I don't know if you do you have the PDF with you right now. I do, yeah. Um, if I were to push you to choose, oh and boy. feel free to feel free to roll a D one hundred if you like. <laughs> um, if in doubt, uh, is there a favorite uh, failed career? So yeah, I was paging through them before this uh, talk, um, and I, I I I said to myself, I'll make a short list, and. Because Chris might ask me this, um, I think my short list is about twenty some. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's very hard. I since since I almost always run games, um, I have a great love for playing just the huge wide spectrum of characters. Um, I don't necessarily have a type, uh, and so I, I do. I was not just uh, saying it when I said I love all the field careers. I really do. Um, but if I set all of that aside and sort of think about my own you know, kind of proclivities, um, I I really love um, boats and canals and all of that kind of stuff. And Bastion has some really great careers along those lines. The canal nomad really speaks to me. The squid bagger, pie smuggler, uh, lock, <laughs> lock holder. Um, all of those are uh, underwhaler. All of those are automatically really interesting to me. Um, Dead Shoresman is amazing. Um from a game design perspective urchin pack you know is just of course amazing it, as soon as you see it and each each urchin is one hit protection is just great uh as a as a mechanic <laughs> um, map thief oh expelled lamplighter uh that one really spoke to me there's a there's a faction in blades uh, the lamp blacks who, who ah, are yeah they're they're a criminal gang and they exist because they've been replaced by electric light so uh um ah well you know yeah. th- th- that one was not written by me that was a. Uh... Zachary Cox uh, wrote mm. that one, mm-hmm. and and weirdly, yeah, when when he suggested it to me, I did think of Blades. I thought, um, oh, this this reminds me of something. Yeah, I so, would be I would be happy to play an expelled lamplighter for that reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah, weirdly, I have the I have the canal canal nomad open. Um, oh, great! Right now, that was that was the one that I had on, um, and a little a little Easter egg. I, I tried to with the sample names. I originally thought, right, I'm going to. I'm going to make all of these sample names super clever references to something. 
and um, they will be related to the career and people will think I'm a genius because I've, I've hidden these references in and uh, they'll spend years trying to break down the code. Um, but what happened is I, I, I came up, I started with like words that were, were related to the career and then sort of mangled them. But because it's been so long since I did them, I've forgotten what almost all of them are. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I've done that. But <laughs> <laughs> the canal nomad, I know that they are based, these are canal-y, canal-based words. So Grunian, for one of the sample names, is the Grand Union Canal, which is a canal ah, yes. uh-huh. uh, in the UK. Uh, Fosdyke, I, I have to say, I have to say, I, I've been watching Travels by Narrow Boat. I don't know if you know this show. Uh, there's like I don't know if it's the same over there, but in the UK, I think every other program is about someone going on a canal. Yeah, so I, or, or a train journey. It's uh, I've just been watching big. on the the Trenton Mercy, I believe, is where he is right now. Oh, that's very very near to where I live. Oh wow! Um, and um, yeah, I, I don't know what uh, Fosdyke is something to do with canals. Uh, Sankey. I, I don't know, and Erwush is is based on some canal name. So yeah, if if you are lo- ever looking through these names and you think you recognise a word, uh, then you're doing better than me. You've you spotted something uh, something that I I couldn't find. That's, those those names are great. Um, I guess I was curious uh, about the um, sort of additional bits um, in the in in writing for the conductor. Uh, as as I recall, I think on the blog at one point you were you were talking about how what you're going to include and um, at, and at various essays maybe around running games and and how to run Bastion Land in particular. Um, how was that process for you? Are you or did did you end up? Are you happy with where you landed there? Uh, I'm I'm very happy to see those things included, but I was wondering um, what that was like for you. Yeah, so it, it's it's the way it started was. Um, I, I wanted every every two-page spread to almost be like a little GM screen. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be like, if you're running Deep Country, you could flick open to this two pages and it's got everything you need to run Deep Country. And uh, it ended up spilling into two spreads and then, you know, separate spreads for how to plan it. Um, but an- another thing that happened is I, I originally thought about having different kind of modular add-on rules for each section so that when you're in the underground, there would literally be some different rules to use while you're there, so that it felt different. Mm. And um, I, I think that could have worked, but you would have ended up with a very different feeling game, and it, it wouldn't have fit with the the philosophy of what I was trying to achieve yeah. with the simplicity of the rules. So what I ended up with was um, was going back to the idea of a sort of a GM screen, if you like, um, but more rather than being a GM screen full of rules just being there for for ideas and for situations that might come up. So to use Bastion as an example, um, you've got this kind of, these spark tables were something that I settled on um, relatively early on, mm-hmm. uh, rolling, two, rolling two D20 and combining them. Yeah, I and love those. Just, just having one of those for each of the sections um, it, it just tells you, it, it gives you a sort of an easy answer for anything so that if if we're playing a game and you say that you want to go and talk to a character and I'm like thinking, right, I've not got anything for this character. I don't know what's going on. Um, I can roll 2d20 on this list and I might get fat in the first column and art in the second column. And 
it, it immediately I can start to think of different ways to approach that character. So mm-hmm. um, it could be as basic as they are a fat character who is very into art. It could be that they are an artist that uses fat as a medium. Mm-hmm. It could be that um, it could be that they're making art about what it's like to be fat. That, that, that there's just different ways you go. It just gives you that spark, hence the name. And um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted it to be something that the uh, the conductor during the game could just glance at because you don't want the game to grind to a halt while you stop and look up something on there. It was all designed to be stuff that could be absorbed sort of at the table during play, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's something I really appreciate about that stuff. It's uh, It feels like it's come from experience and from practical usage, uh, not just kind of a writerly impulse to write more stuff for the game. It's um, It feels like a... a a useful tool in the moment during play. Yeah, and the, the touchstones are the other thing where um, if you've got a character, you, it, it's, it's good for characters to have opinions about things. I think the characters should have opinions about the setting and how the world is changing. And um, just having a list of, so there's like eight, eight general topics and each of them has four opinions that the characters might have about things like modernity. So they might have an opinion about uh, youth fashion or they might have an opinion about passive aggression because that's obviously a very modern uh, invention yeah yeah i think we're about ready to wrap up um if people wanted to check out your games john where could they hear about them uh you can go to my website which is one seven design.com uh, all written out uh and i'm on twitter john underscore harper uh i post there all the time and there's updates and things. I'm Evil Hat Productions publishes some of my games, including Blades in the Dark, and uh, my new game with Sean Nittner called Agon, which is a uh, very um, quick-playing, simple, little slim book, um, <laughs> unlike Blades, uh, which is coming out uh, right now, actually. Um, and you can find that stuff on the Evil Hat website. Fantastic. Um I've waited till the end of the uh, of the podcast to tell you that I'm actually working on a little Blades in the Dark hack myself. Ah, um, really? Because th- there's no greater compliment from me than the fact that um, I-, I bought your book and read it and played it once, and then I thought, oh, I can hack this. I can do this better. <laughs> and <Nice>. uh, <laughs> the, the, you know how they say like the, it's the the opposite of love is indifference. And, exactly. Um, yeah. I, I I liked enough about it that I wanted to hack it to bits. So um, I'm I'm currently working on something. So I'll, I'll have to uh, I'll have to show you that sometime. That is very exciting um, to me. Fantastic. Uh, so thank you for joining me, John. It's been really great to hear your insights. And that is the end of the Electric Bastionland audio commentary. Uh, if you want to listen to the next episode, you can join me next week for episode five, where I will be joined by Ben Milton, and we will be talking about running the game and the conductor's advice section. So, thank you, John. Say goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Great. Cool. Cool. Yeah, that was great.